0: Well, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. He's not very talkative. This is my chainsaw. We have spent many an hour in the forest cutting firewood. And last Sunday we said that the shame of Christian sanctification, of do-it-ourselves, sanctification, is that we are like the fella who tried to cut a log without starting his chainsaw. He never pulled it. When we try to live a life pleasing to the Lord Jesus after conversion in our own strength, in our own smarts, in our flesh... It's like trying to saw a log with a chainsaw that's not running. You do that long enough, and some things happen. You get exhausted. You get frustrated. You have no possible chance of doing what you're trying to do. And frankly, you just want to quit. And maybe you're here this morning, and you know you're saved. But if the truth be told, for a long time, your Christian living has been frustrating, exhausting. You felt like quitting. This message in Romans 7 is for you and for me. Last time in Romans 7 verses 7 to 14, we saw that it is a real shame to choose to re-engage ourselves with the Old Testament law as a way of being increasingly right with God. We said that would be a shame, to re-engage ourselves with the Old Testament law as a way to try to be acceptable to God, as a way to grow spiritually spiritually. And last Sunday, we also saw that the law was never given to solve our sin problem. Instead, the law was given to reveal our sin problem. The law wasn't given to solve our sin problem, the law was given to reveal that we have a sin problem. We talked about the difference between an MRI and a surgeon's scalpel. The MRI can only tell the surgeon you need a surgery. The MRI never performs the surgery needed. No, the MRI reveals the medical situation and then the surgeon takes her scalpel and performs the surgery needed. The law is like that MRI, first to the Jewish nation and then to us, to reveal our sin problem, to point us to Jesus, the supreme surgeon, To fix our sin problem. Still by way of review from last Sunday, we looked at the character of God's law. What is God's law like? And we saw, number one, that God's law is useful. We saw that in verse 7 of Romans 7. It's useful in the sense that the law reveals sin. It sets the standard high enough. You remember the toddler who measured himself with a six-inch ruler and reported to his mommy that he was uh, 12 feet tall? The law is useful because it tells us what the standard is, not by our estimation, but by God's estimation. So the law is useful. Second place, the law is active, The law sets up a military base inside of us because of our flesh, the law produces and provokes sinning because of our flesh. The problem's not with the law, the problem's with us. And we use the illustration of the person who has the unfortunate allergy to chocolate, Give an anaphylactic reaction to chocolate. Some people, are, it'll, chocolate will kill them. The problem isn't the chocolate. The problem is the physiology of the person who is eating it, who is allergic. And so last time we saw the law is useful, verse 7. We saw the law is active, verse 8. Third, we saw the law is holy, verses 9 to 12, Romans 7. The law is holy. Makes sense. Only a holy, sinless God could give a holy, sinless law. In fact, a holy God could give nothing other than a holy law. And that holy law reflecting all of God's character judges and condemns sinners like all of us. That's what the law does. Because you need a Savior. You can't do this. And if you don't get a Savior, you're going to be separated from God forever in a literal place the Bible calls hell. In the fourth place, last week, we saw the law is a lethal weapon. We saw that in verse 13. That is, the law condemns us. It reveals our sins, but it is not a murderer. The question in verse 13, is the law a murderer? The answer is emphatic, no, God's law is not a murderer. Similarly, guns don't kill people. People kill people. Guns don't kill people. People holding guns and pulling triggers kill people. And the law doesn't murder, but our flesh, combined with the power of the law of sin and death, uses the Old Testament law to spiritually kill us. Gun triggers are pulled by gunmen. Law is broken by lawbreakers. Fifth and last, by way of review, last time, In Romans 7, characteristics and character of the law, number five point, according to verse 14a, the law is spiritual. The law is spiritual. The law reflects all of God's character. The law opposes sin. The law blocks all blame-shifting. Because of the law of God, you can't say, I don't sin, and because of the law of God, you can't say, you made me sin. The kid who came home with the five Ds and the two Fs on his report card and asked his father, what do we chalk this up to, environment or heredity? The law won't let you do that. It's not your mommy's fault. It's not your daddy's fault. It's not your employer's fault. When we sin, it's our fault. And so God's law is anything but flawed. God's law is anything but bad. And today in Romans seven fifteen to 24, we'll look at the shame and the defeat and the frustration of a self-reliant Christian life. If you are to live your Christian life in self-reliance, you'll be trying to uh, saw logs with the chainsaw not running. It'll be a shame. It'll be a defeat. It'll be a frustration. It'll be A do-it-yourself Christian life is an abject, guaranteed failure. In these verses 15 to 24 of Romans 7 this morning, we're going to see that this self-reliant Christian life, this do-it-yourself Christian life, this me-can-do Christian life is destined to fail. I told you when I waited tables in Dallas, Texas with Beth in a family restaurant, there was a family that regularly came in with a little child who was in a high chair and they never attended the child every time they came to our restaurant. They let the child feed itself. Looked like a Gerber baby factory gone bad. Explosion. Food everywhere. I'm not kidding. Food everywhere. Food on the floor. Food on the kid. Food on their table they're eating at. Awful. The parents that let a child in a high chair who's not capable of feeding herself properly is just as foolish as the Christian who chooses to live their Christian life in a me can do philosophy. I don't need anybody's help. It causes a mess. In the restaurant, it caused a gross mess of all this baby food all over the place. And when we try to live our Christian lives in our own strength, in our own resources, in our own smarts, without the Holy Spirit's filling and controlling and powering and enabling, we are just like that kid in the high chair. It's unprofitable for us. Kid missed most of the food she was supposed to eat because it was everywhere else. It's unprofitable for the people around the high chair in the restaurant. They wanted to move to other sections. Can we move to that section? I said, I don't blame you. I would move too. And when we try to live our Christian lives in the power of our own flesh and not controlled by the Holy Spirit, then people around us find no profit in being around us. And so, through no fault of God's law, the me-can-do, self-reliant Christian life satisfies no one. Not the Christian him or herself, not the persons who are all around that Christian, and not the Lord. It's lose, lose, lose when we try to live the Christian life as self-reliant, flesh-dominated Christians. Now, this morning, we're going to see four characteristics of living a me-can-do, self-reliant Christian life. We're going to see four characteristics of the Christian who makes the foolish choice to re-engage with the Old Testament law as a principle, as an avenue to be be growing as a Christian. We're going to see four things in our verses this morning that are bound to happen if we re-engage ourself with the Old Testament law and try to get close to God that way. First, let me overview the four things we're going to see in these verses. Number one, fleshly living, fleshly living. Number two, helpless living. Number three, unable to live right living, unable to live right living. And fourth, frustrated living. Maybe you come here this morning and you've known Jesus Christ for 50 years, 40 years, 30 years, 20 years, 10 years. Maybe you've known Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior a long time, but it could be possible that those years of being with Christ, you've been living fleshly. You've been living helplessly. You've been living totally unable to live right in the sight of God. Maybe you've been living your lives as a Christian, frustrated living. This message, this truth is for you. So let's look at the four things that are characteristic of a Christian living, do it yourself sanctification. In the first place, the self reliant Christian only knows fleshly living, only knows fleshly living. I see that in Romans seven, fourteen. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into bondage to sin. You are only capable of fleshly living, Christian, if you do it in your own resources. It says in the verse, sold into bondage to sin. There is a word picture, sold into bondage to sin. Remember, sin singular is the cause of sins, plural. Sin singular is the law of sin and death. But sin singular is the downward pull into sins that the law of uh, sin and death pulls on us, all of us. And this kind of me-can-do, self-reliant, Holy Spirit-ignoring Christian living is going to be totally prone to sinning at the law of sin and death's bidding. Now let me unpack what it is to have flesh. What is flesh? Well, it's far more than just the basic literal meaning of having flesh on your bones. Flesh is a theological term. Flesh appears in 14b, see it? But I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. What is flesh? Flesh is the opposite of the Holy Spirit. Flesh is the combination of your body and your soul, uncontrolled by the Holy Spirit. Flesh is the combination of your base appetites, your thoughts, your feelings, and your choices when they are all running the show instead of the Holy Spirit. Flesh is the enemy within you until you see Jesus through physical death or rapture. Flesh is permanently the slave of sin, singular. Flesh permanently is the slave to the law of sin and death. Continuing, flesh is set to sin's wavelength. Flesh in you, flesh in me is permanently set on its dial to be on the same wavelength as sin singular. Flesh is consistently, sneakily bent on leading you into its deeds. The deeds of the flesh are listed in Galatians 5, 19 and 21. And this is the agenda that flesh has, your flesh has for you. This is the agenda that my flesh has for me. Listen, Galatians 5, 19 to 21, the deeds of the flesh. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. These are the deeds of the flesh. Flesh says to the law of sin and death when it barks, jump. Flesh says, yes, how high? Flesh will never assist you to live a spiritual life. Flesh will not stop being an issue for you this side of heaven. Flesh cannot be reformed. It can only be held in check by the precious power of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, given all these truths about flesh... We must face the fact, brothers and sisters, that all this is entirely uncomfortable. It's awkward and hard to swallow. It's an unpleasant situation. And because it is, some interpreters of Romans chapter 7 have insisted that Romans 7, 15 to 24, must reference the Apostle Paul's pre-conversion state. These people say, that is so ugly, that is so uncomfortable, that is so awkward, that is so unpleasant, that surely Paul wrote that about himself before he was saved. Couldn't disagree more. Could not disagree more. Because verses 15 to 24 are actually, unequivocally, Paul's experience after conversion. Because it's my experience after my conversion and it's your experiences after your conversions and so without doubt in my mind verses 15 to 24 depict Paul's struggle with indwelling sin and 15 to 24 depict our struggles with the same indwelling sin upon which the law of sin and death operates in each of us daily How do I know? Let me give you some more specific examples that I am sure that Romans 7, 15 to 24 were not before Paul was saved, but after he was saved. I have five reasons. The first reason, verses 15 to 24, are part of chapter 7, which is a sanctification chapter. Chapters 5 and 6 of Romans are a justification chapters. And chapter 8 of Romans is a glorification chapter. So the flow of thought here is logical justification, chapters 5 and 6, sanctification, chapter 7, and glorification, chapter 8. And so it's totally out of logical order if you look at it this way. Justified, unredeemed, glorified. It doesn't fit. Second reason I know that this was Paul after conversion and not before is that uh, verse 22 suggests that Paul's inner man is renewed. It says, it joyfully concurred with the law of God. Only an already made alive inner man would take joy in the Lord. Otherwise, before conversion, people are spiritually dead, unresponsive to God. The third reason I know that this is Paul's experience after being saved and not before is when you listen to Philippians 3.6, which reads, as he's talking about his religious resume as a Pharisee before Christ, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is found in the law, found blameless. Before Paul was saved, his name was Saul, and he thought he was religiously, spiritually blameless. He, He didn't acknowledge any of this fight before he was saved. Philippians 3.6, yes, makes it clear that pre-conversion, Paul viewed himself as being blameless. But here Paul views himself as being helpless. There's a big difference. Before he knew Christ as Savior, he thought he was blameless. After he came to know Christ as Savior, he said, I'm helpless to live a Jesus life without the Holy Spirit. Blameless in no way, shape, or form equals helpless. Fourth reason I know this was Paul before he was saved. Verses 15 to 24 use the present tense. Paul is describing his here and now struggle. It's not back then before that he's talking about. It's present tense. Fifth and last, Paul's Romans 7 report being after conversion because Romans 8, 21 to 23 teach that we ourselves, the complete package, we ourselves, body, soul, and spirit, still await complete redemption. Still await complete release from evil and Satan's control through our flesh. Romans seven, fifteen to twenty-four, are in fact the real report. Of Paul's life after coming to faith. And these verses are, in fact, the real, true, blunt report of our lives after we trusted Jesus to be our Savior. God's Word is so realistic, God's Word doesn't pull any punches self-reliant, carnal, me-can-do, do-it-yourself Christians, live fleshly, up-and-down, inconsistent Christian lives. There's a second thing about trying to live the Christian life by self-effort righteousness, and it's this in your outlines. The second thing is the self-reliant Christian only can muster helpless living. Helpless living. Verses 15 to 17 of Romans 7, please. For that which I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very things that I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that is good, so now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. The only kind of life you can live without the Holy Spirit living Christ's life through you as a Christian is a helpless life. Here again, this respectable and great Apostle Paul that God the Holy Spirit used to write 60% of the New Testament, in and of himself, he admitted he was utterly and completely helpless to overcome that which was around him, but even more importantly, that which was within him. Why was that? Because when you out the Holy Spirit as your primary resource, then only His residual inherent resource left was his flesh. When you X out the Holy Spirit to power your Christian living and you just ignore him or grieve him, the only thing you have left to live your Christian life with at that moment is your flesh, and it will betray you. Because it's only capable, flesh is only capable of responding to the law of sin and death's commands into sinning. We have a traitor that lives inside us. It's our flesh. That's why I said a few sermons back that I know the biggest challenge I have in my life is me. Because I still have flesh. So when we... Make the foolish choice of Xing out moment to moment reliance on the Holy Spirit to live right before God. Our only remaining resources are flesh, and it is no less of a traitor today as it was for Paul back then. You can't expect the flesh to reform the flesh, it doesn't ever happen, ever. And when we reattach the training wheels to shove the Holy Spirit out of the passenger seat into the passenger seat of your bicycle, it's your flesh which begins to pedal the bike immediately. No delay. You might as well be better off asking a horse to talk than to expect your flesh to honor Jesus Christ. That's why Paul Before us in time, and that's why we ourselves right in the real time of this moment feel totally helpless when we're trying to live the victorious Christian life in our own resources, strength, and smarts. We can and we do, and we must feel helpless to overcome evil in and around us when we fail to take the empowerment of God the Holy Spirit who lives within us. It's like chainsawing a log without starting the engine exhausting, frustrating, makes you want to quit. To recap, the self-reliant, carnal, Christian, me-can-do, do-it-yourself living of the Christian life is helpless. But there's more. In the third place, the self-reliant Christian life can only experience unable-to-do-good living. unable to to do good living. I see that in verses 18 to 20. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Sin, singular, the law of sin and death, dwelt in Paul because Paul had flesh. Sin, the power of law and sin and death, because you have flesh, dwells in you. And remember that redeemed flesh is still very much flesh. And redeemed flesh is no less tuned into evil's wavelength than it was before you were saved. It's the traitor within. Redeemed flesh can and will never cure itself. Never. The reason every one of us struggles with the law of sin and death, and we struggle with its pull down upon us in the acts of sinning every day, is our redeemed flesh is still 100% flesh. We have a traitor within. And all this means, church, that do-it-ourselves sanctification is unconditionally guaranteed to fail. Do-it-yourself sanctification is guaranteed to fail and to put you in a place of total spiritual defeat. And all this means, going back to the child in the high chair in the restaurant, all this means that there will be a gross mess in your life, and outside of your life, to people who are near to you. Back then, Paul was unable to do what he knew to be right, and he was unable to avoid doing what he knew to be wrong in his flesh, without the Holy Spirit controlling him. And similarly, currently you and I are unable to do what we know is the right to do, and we are unable not to do what we know is the wrong to do if we are in our flesh. If the flesh is driving the bicycle of your life instead of the Holy Spirit. And in all cases, our inability has everything to do with failing to live filled and controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Our inabilities to live the Christian life with success evidence that our flesh is far inferior a bike rider than is the Holy Spirit. Your flesh is a far inferior bicycle rider for your life than is the Holy Spirit. You might look at it this way. Living the victorious Christian life without the active ministry of the Holy Spirit is like trying to drive to Lyford Key without an engine in your car. It's like trying to cut wood in the forest without a chainsaw that has no gasoline or no ignition. Yes, me can do Christian living is unable to do the good living. It just is for us and it was for Paul. And so what next? The fourth point about the self-reliant Christian The self-reliant Christian can only have a lifestyle of frustrated living. You're frustrated this morning? Maybe too frustrated to tell your spouse? Too frustrated to tell a pastor? Truth be known, your Christian life is a grind and you're getting tired and frustrated and fed up. Feel like quitting. The self-reliant Christian can only have a lifestyle of frustrated living. Verses 21 to 24. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from the body of this death? Frustrated living. I want you to see three key words in these four verses I have just read. These three key words reveal the Apostle Paul's total frustration with his attempts to do me can do Christianity. Three words that convey just how Totally frustrated, Paul was trying to live for Christ without the Holy Spirit being his boss. The first word is war, verse 23. But I see a different law in the members of my body waging war. The first word is war. The second word is prisoner, still in verse 23. But I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. The first word is war, verse 23. The second word is prisoner, still verse 23. And the third word is wretched, verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Paul knew, this is, we're wrapping it up here, stick with me. Paul knew that he was that civil war within himself between the Holy Spirit and his flesh. He knew that. He knew that what was up for grabs any given moment of his apostolic life, writing the New Testament, was whether he'd be in the Holy Spirit or he'd be in the flesh, whether he'd be about good or he'd be about evil, whether he would have freedom in Christ or death to the law of sin and death. And Paul, understanding, understood a devolving regression. Every day and every way left uncontrolled by the Holy Spirit, Paul realized he was devolving to be worse as a Christian. It was not a progression, it was a regression. And the regression, war, prisoner, wretched. War. Prisoner wretched where are you this morning knowing you're at war but that's it knowing you're at war but you admit that you're a prisoner except the Holy Spirit sets you free to live the Christian life properly where are you this morning war are you down to prisoner yet are you down to wretched yet? Yeah. There's a movement afoot in Canada in the liberal Methodist church, I understand the Methodist church in the islands has more conservatism to it, and I thank God for that. But in Canada, the Methodist church is raging liberal. And they take words like a worm in him or a wretched in him and say, no, 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 we're not worms and we're not wretched. God's love. Paul said, acknowledge him at war, I acknowledge that in my flesh, I'm a prisoner of war, and I acknowledge that in and of myself, to live the Christian life, I am wretched. Wretched. Are you wretched yet? The Spirit of God will flood in and give you victory in Christian living if you admit you're wretched without Him. But until you face the fact that you're at war and a prisoner of war and that you're wretched, the Holy Spirit will just stand back and say, I wonder when she'll get exhausted enough to see this. How long is it going to take for him to admit that he's wretched? I'll wait. Are you wretched yet? Or are you just at war? Or are you just at prison? Or you've got to get to wretched. Because spiritual life, sanctification, victorious Christian living, spirit-filled, victorious Christian living, and liberation from the law of sin and death, you got to get to wretched. Wretched is a graphic word in New Testament Greek. Teleporos. Kale poros in the Greek is wretched. Its dictionary meaning is to be utterly, miserably, and distressed to, due to total exhaustion from hard labor. God wants you, as a Christian, to get to the point of being wretched in your own understanding, to get to the point that you see yourself trying to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit's control as being utterly miserable and distressed, due to total exhaustion from hard work. Are you there? Are you wretched? Triathletes. had a couple triathletes in the last church I pastored. I got tired just listening to what they do. Triathletes swim 2.4 miles. This is all in the same race. They swim 2.4 miles. They cycle 112 miles. And then they run 26.2 miles. With no breaks. It's a race against the clock. You see, triathletes are suitably, utterly, miserably exhausted, but no more than the me can do self reliant Christian should face up to the fact that they are. 23. But I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner. Of the law of sin, which is in my members, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? It says wretched man that I am. It does not say wretched man that I am when Christ is controlling me by his spirit. Now he says, wretched man that I am when I do my own do-it-yourself Christian living, not seizing upon the control, the filling, and the powering of the Holy Spirit. Wretched man that I am. The poem is Deliverance. The poet is R.P.D. Bennett. Listen carefully. Under the law with its tenfold lash, learning alas, how true, that the more I tried, the sooner I died, while the law cried, "You, you, you!" Hopelessly still did the battle rage. O oh, wretched man, my cry, and deliverance sought by some penance bought, while I, my soul, cried, "I, I, I!" Then came a day when my struggle ceased and trembling in every limb at the foot of a tree where one died for me, I sobbed out, him, him, him. Will you stand with me? Will you stand with me? It could well be this morning that after we dismiss that you won't rush to your car or to the bus, but you'll want to lay back and talk to a pastor of our fellowship about war, prisoner, and wretched man that I am. You don't have to leave this this morning struggling in in abject failure, trying to live a do-it-yourself Christian life, trying to, in your own Strength gut out victorious Christian living. You don't need to do that anymore. You're at war and you've been a prisoner, but do you see yourself as wretched without the Holy Spirit driving your bus? Now's the time to settle that after communion, to stay and seek out a pastor to pray with you. Tonight, God willing, we'll finish Romans 7 because we've seen two sermons now on the shame of do it yourself sanctification. And tonight, thank God, there's a verse 25. That there's a Lord Jesus Christ who is the answer to the shame that we can fall into trying to sanctify ourselves. Come out tonight. Let the chapter end in your hearing, not just this far. Let us pray. Father, we are a company of the wretched, some of us already know this. Others of us are just starting to know this. Either way, we would crawl out of the high chair of me can do Christianity. And either way, we would let the spirit of God pedal and steer our bicycles of our lives. We make these sanctification commitments In the matchless name, Father of your Son and our Savior, even the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.